Another day Another dollar Makes you wonder where your money went You can scream And you can holler Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast As always, one man's view of the changing world The changing times and the things that we can all do to live a better life If times get tough or even if they don't dictate it is almost always the case during my 50 mile commute between Arlington and Frisco, Texas for my personal mobile studio, my 2006.5 Jetta Diesel TDI that might hit whopping speeds of about 11 and a half miles an hour today. Why? It's raining again! Oh joy! Uh, folks, usually I look at rain and go, hey, this is great, you know, it wets the ground, fills the lakes, makes the creeks run, makes my plants grow. I'm tired of it, man. Other than one one afternoon of sunshine, it's been dark, dingy, and raining for about nine straight days here now. And uh, I'm ready for the sun to come out and stay out. Hopefully it'll, the sun will be shining up in New York City, where I'm heading this weekend, because of y'all to go meet Judge Napolitano and be on Freedom Watch with him. So uh, maybe I'll get some sunshine up there. Either way, I'll be in a good mood, in spite of being surrounded by eight million people. All right, so... Um, Let me tell you what we're going to talk about today, and then we'll do our housekeeping. Uh, We're going to talk about principle one of modern survival philosophy today. Uh, Summed up somewhat in the show Credo as a whole. If times get tough, or even if they don't, right? But um, really more along the lines of the principle itself is every action that you take to prepare for disaster should improve your life even if nothing ever goes wrong. I want to tell you where that came from, why it's so important, why it's principle one, why it's the guiding force in what I talk about every day. Even when I talk about things, I never mention it. It's the angle I'm coming from. I want to tell you where it came from, how I came up with it, um, its origins, uh, the, the mistakes I made in my past and how it helped me find that. And that's what today's show is going to be about. I think it's going to be a great show. And since I won't have to think real hard, because it's basically some history that I was part of, um, probably a good show to do in this kind of rainy, dangerous drive weather. All right. Before that, though, let's talk about uh, our housekeeping. Number one, make sure you support our advertisers, folks. Uh, advertiser one of the day is SQA Experts. Uh, awesome ballistic shield that they have available to you if you are a law enforcement officer, a soldier, or a civilian. Uh, I really recommend you check their site out. What they have is something quite innovative. They have more products coming that look pretty cool as well. And uh, they are offering a discount for survival podcast listeners uh, through the rest of the month. So you may want to go check out that discount of 10%. Uh, next, make sh- uh, uh, our next uh, sponsor of the day is Safe Castle Royal, who has just started a new website available at preparedness.pro. That's right, dot .pro, dot P-R-O, uh, preparedness.pro. Uh, and Safe Castle has an amazing assortment, and they have an awesome discount buyers club. Um, $29, you get a lifetime discount club membership. 29 bucks, they just raised the price, worth every penny. And in a second, I'm going to tell you how you can get that for free. Because uh, we're going to move on now to uh, our forum. And I really want you guys to join our forum. We're getting very close to it's like a, another monument event for us, uh, having our 100,000th post. 100,000th post. Uh, we have around 3,300, I think, members right now. Now, unlike a lot of forums, our 100,000 posts will be 100,000 legitimate posts. Our moderators are evil on spam, man. They don't let it through, and they are they are tough on members. They, they make sure that the people are real members, not spammers. And we've deleted more uh, fake accounts than there are real accounts. Uh, so we have no sock puppetry. So our forum is real, thriving, and growing. Please come be a part of it. Um, when our forum has 20,000 people in it, I want you to be one of the old-timers with, uh, you know, join before there were 5,000 of them there. Alright, last but not least, please consider joining the Member Support Brigade. Help support this show. Um, if you join the Member Support Brigade, you'll be helping me make this into a full-time thing, so I'm not doing it from a car anymore in the rain. Uh, and I can put longer shows on with more content, do more interviews, all that good stuff. So primarily as a way to support the show, but you do get stuff. You get some exclusive video content available only to members, uh, and I try to add to that about once a month. I uh, haven't been adding to it as much as I want to. That'll change. 
range. As soon as this rain goes away, we have a bunch of stuff slated to shoot. They just can't do it right now. Um, additionally, you'll get a free lifetime discount membership to Safe Castle. So there's 29 bucks of your 50 for a year back right there, along with some e-publications by James Talmadge Stevens. Total retail value is about 70 bucks now, so if you get for free, um, along with content you can't even buy anywhere else. So please consider becoming a Sporting Brigade member. And with that, let's get on to the main topic of today's show. Oh, one more thing real quick. Region 6, big get-together. Shannon Appleby um, did a great job. That'll be this weekend. I will. If you're going to be there, I'll be calling in by cell, from, cell phone from New York City to address the crowd somewhere around 5 o'clock uh, local time there, 6 o'clock my time, just to say thank you for showing up and uh, hear about what's going on. And I want to give props to three companies that have gone out and supported this event. Brunel's, Springfield Armory, and CC Military Surplus. There'll be links to them in the show notes. And now we can get on to the main topic of today's show. Like I said, I want to talk to you today about the founding principle, principle one of the survival podcast. Everything that you do to prepare for disaster should improve your life even if nothing goes wrong. And I want to tell you about where that came from. And I'll take you through a little time travel trip back to around the year 2000, and occasionally we're going to venture into the 90s. Uh, But we're going to start today by going back to around 1999 when the tech uh, market was raging. Remember, the the stock market was at all-time highs. People were making money like crazy. Even a lot of people who were upset with the current president said, hey, it's the economy, stupid, and the economy's doing great. Um, It was a good time for America, the the roaring 90s, the last couple of years of that decade. And uh, But one thing was out there, one thing that was kind of scary that people were worried about, it was Y2K. And I was not a Y2Ker, folks. It was right in the middle of my slumber, that I call it, and I'll talk more about that later. But it was the first little chink in the armor of my slumber to awaken me and remind me of who I was. So it started this whole period of time here with these, what I call disasters and pseudo-disasters, with Y2K. And as I looked at Y2K, I went, this is crazy. I mean, people were actually marketing appliances as Y2K compliant. And I mean appliances that had nothing to do with the date, right? That like a date wouldn't affect them no matter what. Like, I saw a toaster, folks, with Y2K compliant on the label. And I I just thought, these people are crazy. They're going too far. They're overreaching. But you know what? There could be some problems. And they might take several months to clear up. It's not the end of civilization. The the whole world's not going to come to a stop. But there could be some problems. Now, fortunately, they're working on them. And they'll probably button down most of it. But there's a lot of stuff out there that could be affected. And... I wasn't really worried about what was going to happen from Y2K. I knew it wasn't going to be that big a deal. But it started to make me ask the what-ifs. Well, what, what if something really did screw everything up? That it wasn't just, like, dates. What, what if the electricity did go off, like, wide-scale? Is there anything that could make it go off? And I started to do a little research, and it turned out there were some things that were threats to the electrical grid. And I started to just say, well, you know, we used to live a lot differently when I was a kid. And... You know, I know I'm not doing some of the things I used to. We're not canning anymore. I don't have a garden anymore. But, you know, I'm, I'm making good money now. I'm buying everything that I need. The money's flowing. Uh, I've worked so hard to get here. It was just a few years ago. I was sleeping on the floor of a buddy's apartment, making $6 an hour. Now I'm, I'm up in the six-figure range. I did that in a couple of years. I was arrogant. I was proud of that. And it just seemed like things were only going to get better. We put a bunch of money into the stock market, into our retirement accounts. And I remember then sitting with a financial advisor. And I remember this guy telling me, look, some, this was about, this was into 2000. This was getting close to 2001 at this point. And he said, we're having a really good period of time right now. And I felt like I didn't make the money fast enough. We would miss the opportunity to, to get higher amounts of money. So he's sitting here telling me, look, there's going to be some correction to the market. It's going to come down a little. So the one thing that was credit, he put me into an account where like my money sat for six months. And each month, one-sixth of it would move into these mutual funds. And the 
the balance was getting like 18%. So, that, you know, he was like, we're going to take advantage of the opportunity to earn this high interest rate on most of your money and then slowly buy into the market. But at the same time, he was telling me it was going to correct. And we did it. I remembered later thinking, why the hell did I put money into a market when the guy was telling me it's going to correct? Why didn't we wait for the correction to put the money in? Why didn't we just leave it sit in cash? What the hell was wrong with us? I know better than this. And then we, like most Americans, had almost all of our savings set aside for retirement. Very little savings in a savings account. And we had it almost all in the stock market. Very little in any kind of, you know, alternative investments. And then a series of events happened. First, the market crashed. And all that money we put away basically got cut in half almost overnight. And every time it looked like the market was going to recover, we had something happen to keep it down. We had three big scandals. I don't even know if you remember them all. It's been so long ago, those nine, ten, eight, eight, nine years. One was WorldCom. Remember the WorldCom debacle? WorldCom going bust? There was the big one, Enron, cooking the books. And then there's one that I think a lot of people just forgot about. That had a huge effect on the market. It was a big debacle involving Tyco. Yeah, Tyco like the people that make toys, but Tyco is one of the biggest companies in the world, or at least was. They were into everything. And those three debacles just kept the market down. It couldn't come back. And then, of course, then of course, 9/11 happened, and it was pretty much the breaking point for me. On 9-11-2001, which we just had the anniversary and people were surprised I didn't do anything about it, but I didn't think there was anything for me to do about it uh, with the show. And that's all anybody was talking about. But I'll tell you a little bit about where I was today on uh, September 11, 2001 and what it meant to me. I was on an airplane, one of the shorter flights that I would take in my, uh, my time of travel. And I got on this airplane in Philadelphia and we flew to Pittsburgh. And uh, I, I would say that to say I was I've been on at least 500 commercial airline flights in my life is is probably lowballing. It's probably been way more than that. And on that day we did something that I've only ever done one other time before in all those flights. As we touched the runway, I felt the pilot power up the plane, and we took off again. And uh, basically just flew in a circle. Got on the intercom and said, hey, they call us a little bit too close to another aircraft there. Uh, Don't worry, nothing's wrong, we're going right back in, and we landed. Very uneventful. Got off the plane, I had been sitting, uh, I'd gotten a business class upgrade and uh, on Air Tram, which is basically first class on their airplane, and got right off the plane, walked down the runway chute, straight out to the uh, baggage claim. As soon as I got to the carousel, they must have been on the ball that day because it turned on. First bag out of the chute was my one bag, grabbed it, walked out the door. My sales rep was waiting for me directly outside the door I walked out of. Things could not have been going more perfectly. I got into his vehicle. We sat down. He had the radio on. He was a guy that liked to listen to Howard Stern, never my cup of tea, but went in Rome. So we're listening to Howard, and he says, you're never going to guess what just happened. And I said, I have no idea, Matt. You're going to have to tell me. And he said, somebody just flew a, a plane into one of the World Trade Center buildings. I said, what? He said, yeah, they, some idiot crashed a plane into one of the buildings. We started talking about it. We knew it was sad, but you know, we did the common young man thing and started to joke about it a little bit. We talked. We were talking about you know some stockbroker sitting on a 110th floor with a big stogie early in the morning, looking down at the little people, seeing a Cessna come at him because that's what was in our head. And as we're driving, they start to give us reports. We start to realize this is a bigger plane than a Cessna. In fact, we start hearing reports that maybe it was a commercial aircraft. We're thinking, wow, that's that's really weird, and it's not funny anymore. And then, as we're driving to our first appointment, we hear another plane has struck. And he turned to me, and he looked at me, and he said, you know what this means? And I said, yeah, it means we're at war. And he said, yeah, I think so, too. And, of course, you know the rest of the story that day. plane hits the Pentagon, or some people would say something hits the Pentagon, and a uh, plane goes down in a field outside of Pittsburgh. Well, as soon as this all started, I tried to get my wife on the phone. Of course, the cell networks were jammed. I couldn't get through to her. 
And uh, I started thinking to myself, man, there's a lot of people that are in a bad way, and they were given, you know, American United flight numbers and all, and I knew she knew I was on this little podunk airline, and they hadn't said anything about it in the news, and I knew she knew I was okay, so I stopped trying to call. And then that plane went down outside of Pittsburgh, and I'm like, oh my God, my son's going to hear this in the schools, and he's going to freak, because he knows I'm going to Pittsburgh. So I made sure I got through to her, I talked to her, and then I spent the next several days while all the aircraft was grounded, and I couldn't get a rental car, trying to get home to my family. Because, of course, we called and canceled all our appointments that week. And uh, sat in a hotel room, deeply saddened at what had happened to my nation and to so many people. And at the time, we didn't have a death toll yet. And, folks, I think like a lot of people, I was thinking tens of thousands, not the thousands, which were bad enough. But with as many people as are in those buildings. And, you know, a week before, I had stood right in those buildings, right near the top, talking to one of the union guys that was a user of our equipment, looking out over the city of Manhattan. I understood how big they were, how many people were in there. So I was sad about that, but the big sadness was my family was scared, they were alone, they were hurting, and I was the person that was supposed to fix it, and I couldn't fix it. And there was nothing I could do. And the real feeling was, if things get worse before I get home, there's nothing for me to tell them to do other than wait for me. We have no plan. We have nothing. There's nothing even as a distraction. And at the time, my son was still in junior high. I remember him asking me on the phone, can a war come here? Because we were already talking about going to war that quick with Afghanistan. And I said, yeah, don't worry about a war coming to your house. That's all I could say. And the only thing I could think of was, son, a war already has come here. And it was that low for me that made me say, hey, you know what? This this has got to change. And I got home, and we had a trade show scheduled in Providence, Rhode Island. And uh, for the next week. And I'm like, surely we're not going to do this thing now. They said, oh, we paid for it. We're going to do it. We're committed. And there was supposed to be 500 different vendors there. There was maybe 70 decided to still do it. Of course, my idiot company was one of them. And it was so close to 9-11, they weren't even let people generally back into Manhattan yet. I had to leave my family again. And this time I drove. And I drove up the 95 corridor on one side of the Hudson. And I looked across the Hudson into Manhattan and I could still see smoke billowing up out of ground zero and I smelled something that a lot of people wouldn't know what it was but because of the years that I worked for the communications and cable industry and having been to more than one cable TV uh, what they call a head end which is where all the equipment that sends out the, uh, the data is that it had an air conditioner fail I knew what the smell was it was burnt electronics overpoweringly I could smell burnt electronics and insulation coming out of that place. And I went and did the trade show that I was supposed to do. And I think even with 80 vendors, we outnumbered the attendees. And people thought that anybody that would even bother with a trade show then was crazy. And I realized they were right. And again, here I was for another week away from my family because of a job that I really didn't want anymore because we'd already been acquired by a competitor that um, I honestly took the job to uh, compete against. I didn't quit my job right away, but you know what? I stayed home a lot more. I didn't care how much they said I should be on the road, and I don't think that really helped me with my reputation with the company. But I, I did some things right away. I went home, and my son and I took some old bricks that were left around the house, and we dug a little hole, and we built a fire pit. And we started to, on evenings, have neighbors over and just have campfires and talk. And uh, put a garden in. We got some of our money out of the market, put it into some things that were a little bit more stable. We started to store a little bit of food and started to put a plan together. What would we do? And we 
Didn't get real serious about it, but at least we got on the right course. Put a bug out bag together, make sure we had tools, equipment, extra fuel in the vehicles, etc. And uh, it only took a couple of years of that before I decided this is where we need to be, and I moved us back down to Texas. Took a huge cut in pay to do it, and got serious and started building up, you know, a real prepper lifestyle again. The way that I'd been brought up, the way I'd been taught. And during that time, as I've watched America waking up and go back to sleep, what's happened between then and now? How much has gone on? Well, we had Hurricane Ike basically destroy Galveston. We've had numerous California fires and landslides from the fires. We had a tsunami that took out people across the world from us. But it was a disaster like nothing we had ever seen before. Um, we had the second crash of the stock market, and we had the real estate bubble. And the two are not the same thing, even though everybody wants us to believe that they are. They're related, but the market's crash is not 100% related to the real estate. It's just part of what what caused the economic recession that we're in. And we had all of this happen... And all through it, I've been prepping and getting my life closer and closer to independence, paying off debt, storing food, getting a second place so that we could move there eventually, or if we had to in the interim, we had a place to go, putting together evacuation plans, and then a little over a year ago, took it to another level and started doing this show. And as I was kind of gearing up to get this show started, getting inspired by people like the Dervaises, by people like Chris Future, I said to myself, why isn't anybody doing this stuff? And I had started to get involved with some of the homesteading forums and the survival forums, just a little bit, not a lot, just more poking around and seeing what people were saying and deciding was this a place that I could contribute to than actually participating. I probably participated the most on the Backwoods Home Forums uh, in some of their boards. And uh, I just wondered, why? Why isn't anybody doing anything? And I remembered Jules Dervais talking about changing yourself before you, you know, try to change your nation. And I said, well, I did change myself. That's why I'm asking these questions. Before I changed myself, would I have asked these questions so hard? If I had not been brought up the way I had, if I didn't grow up, you know, at least my high school years in the Pennsylvania coal region with grandparents that had immigrated from the Ukraine and, and seen their way through the Depression and didn't really couldn't really tell you what the difference was before and after and during the Depression, it always seemed the same way there in that coal region that still had Depression mentality in 1985 that taught me how to can, how to grow a garden, how to hunt, how to fish, how to skin an animal, how to tan it. If I hadn't grown up that way, would I have even started to ask those questions? I really don't know if I would have or I wouldn't have. So he said, if I change myself, what made me do it? And then I thought, that's not the answer you're looking for, Jack. What you're looking for is, what made you go to sleep? What woke you up is, is inconsequential. If you don't understand why you went to sleep in the first place, you knew better. Folks, I grew up in a family where my oldest uncle, my dad's older brother, bought his first brand new car. I mean a new car. When he was in his 40s. It's like 41. We finally bought a brand new car. Neither of my grandparents on, on, on that side ever had a new car. Ever. My grandparents on the other side, they'd buy a new car. They'd drive it for five years and pay it off. It would go from my grandfather who drove more to my grandmother who drove less. They'd buy another new car, and they would trade the second car in at around 10 to 12 years. They would get that much life out of a vehicle before they would upgrade it. And they were the people that spent too much money as far as we looked at it. I, I remember being a kid and, and, and hearing people talk about credit cards and thinking, you're an idiot. I remembered my first fiancé before I met my wonderful wife, Dorothy, and how proud she was that she had a $25,000 credit limit. And I remember thinking, oh, you got to get out of this relationship. <laughs> and yet, somehow, years later, with a woman who also knew better, 
didn't just have a $25,000 credit limit. We had a $100,000 credit limit, and we were $25,000 in debt. I said, what made me go to sleep? And then I realized what it was. During those years, I stopped dreaming of retiring by 40. It stopped seeming so important to me, because now, instead of being this young kid struggling... I was what they call a successful young man on my way up in corporate America. And I was making really good money, and I was saving a lot of it into that stock market thing. And even with the crash, I was listening to the dollar cost averaging stuff and keeping to throw more money in. And I started running calculators, and if I got a 15% return and worked till I was 65, how many millions would we have? I started looking at that. I started looking at that very long term. And I was thinking only in two ways. Extremely long term. So long I really can't think about other than to know it must be better than. It must be beautiful when you don't have to work anymore. It must be great when you're a millionaire that you've made yourself. You wait till you're 65. And I realized with my wife saying she would be in her 70s at 65. But I put that out of my mind because it was so far away. God, who knows what medical advances they'll have by then. You know? That's just what everybody does anyway. And who cares if Social Security's broke at that point? It won't matter to me because I'm going to make this kind of money for the rest of my life and just keep throwing it in there. And maybe we'll retire at 60. She can retire at 60 and I'll keep working until I'm 60, but I won't have to work so hard at that point. I'll be one of these big wigs with an easy job that just bothers people like me right now. And that long-term thought leads you to one thing, one other thing, and only one other thing, short-term. You give up the mid-term in your thoughts, and all you think is, what about now? Hey, you know what? I don't have a car payment because they gave me a really nice car as part of my salary. Let's go out and buy a really nice truck. You know, hey, you know what? We, the cash is a little bit low because we put so much in savings this month. Screw it. At least we saved it. Let's break the credit card out and go have a $500 steak dinner down in D.C. Let's take a long weekend, get on the train, go down there and party. And it just keeps adding up. What does this have to do with principle one? Well, I went, if that's what made me go to sleep, then that's what's making all these other people go to sleep. It ties in well with my show yesterday about, you know, retiring, prepping as a reti- form of retirement. But it, was, it wasn't really that at the time. It was more along the lines of, there's just this slumber that this creates. Now, and way into the future. So far into the future, I really can't think about it other than to do what society says I'm supposed to do by the rules. And this stuff like really getting serious about storing food, it just doesn't seem that important. It doesn't affect the now. It doesn't affect me when I'm 65 and retired. And I, I realized there was the key in there. I just had to figure out how to get the puzzle unlocked. So I said, let me take this another way now. And I started to examine all the preps that people do. And I started to ask the question, do, first of all, do any of these have a downside? Is there any negative to storing food? Does it, does it hurt you in any way? You know, well, if you don't go out and go crazy and buy two years worth of 20-year um, storage stuff in cans and stack it in the basement and put your family out $15,000 to do it immediately and, and never eat it, and eventually even that food needs to be given away or gotten rid of or becomes bulky and inconvenient. If you didn't do it that way, if you stored what you eat and ate what you stored and you supplemented with foods like that and you actually used those too, no, there was no downside. And everything I went through, I came up with. There's no downside. Buying some gold and silver, no downside. Worst thing happens, I leave some heirlooms behind on my kid. You know? Having a gun for self-defense, hey, that's enjoyable. I get to enjoy that now. I get to go out and shoot. I get to go out and train. I like to do that. You know, getting concealed carry. You feel more confident, even if nobody ever bothers you. The confidence alone is worth it. There was an immediate now to everything. It wasn't just there wasn't a downside. There was a now. I even, when I talked about this before, people, one guy said, well, what about a bug out bag? What the hell good does a bug out bag do unless something makes you bug out? 
and we put a forum thread up because I said there's plenty of things and we had to have at least 20 some odd responses from things like I keep pain relievers in there and we were somewhere and somebody had a sprained ankle and you know I went and pulled a couple of Ultron out to you know me saying I was at a buddy's house we were getting tore up by mosquitoes we were going to have to move the party inside and they didn't have any bug spray we didn't feel like going to the store and I'm like hey wait a minute went out and pulled some insect repellent out of my bob and it went on and on and on even a bug out bag Bug out bag required something to be inconvenient, but not, it didn't require a disaster. It just made sense. Everything that you did seemed to benefit you today if you did it with common sense and didn't get eccentric and freak the hell out. And then I thought about it, and it all came together. And it seems pretty common sense today, folks, but nobody was saying this a year and a half ago. Every single thing you did was good to do today. And if something went wrong, you had the security like an insurance policy. But when I buy life insurance, it really doesn't help me unless I die. But when I stored food, I actually saved money on my food. And that led me to principle one. And I think it's principle one that's done more to help spread the message of the Survival Podcast with you guys talking about it than anything else. It's very hard for a person to object to, isn't it? If I tell you you need to be prepared for a disaster, your most common objection through something that Swanson brought to my attention, Swanson from the forum, called normalcy bias is to say, well, it's not going to happen. It's not worth worrying about. It'll be okay. We'll deal with it if it comes. You know, come on. Let's live our lives. So if I start giving you a million causative factors, if I start explaining to you, okay, here's how the dollar's been devalued. Here's why hyperinflation has to happen. Here's why unemployment might get a little bit better in the short term, but it's going to get worse in the long term. Here's why oil prices look low now, but they're not going to stay low. Here's what's going to. Ha- Here's the cycle that's happened over and over and over again. All these disasters that didn't affect you, it's not the point that they didn't affect you. It's not even the point that you live somewhere where you look at Hurricane Katrina and you go, there'll never be a hurricane here. That's not the point. The point is, what happens as soon as the systems of support fails? It doesn't matter what eventually might cause your systems of support to fail. Sure, if you live in Sacramento, California, I doubt you're going to ever really deal with a hurricane that does anything like Hurricane Katrina did in New Orleans. If you live in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, I guarantee you you're not. You know? If you live in Chicago, Illinois, I triple guarantee you, you're not going to have something great online with Hurricane Katrina as a weather event. You might have other weather events, but it won't be that. Fine. That's not the point. Didn't you see what happened the minute that the power went down, the floodwaters came, and the authorities weren't there to control things anymore? Don't you understand that that's the big issue? If I talked like that, I wouldn't reach anybody unless they were already here. That I had to put it into a context where the person that says, I really don't think anything's going to happen, because they do think something could happen. The whole point is that it scares them. It bothers them. They don't want anything to happen. You know, it goes back to the old army officer that said that he and his, his, his soldiers are the sheepdogs. And the sheep don't like the sheepdog. Because the sheepdog looks too much like the wolf. It reminds the sheep that the wolf is out there. They prefer not to know. And that's what this stuff, this disaster stuff for the average person in that slumber is. Yeah, it could happen, but I don't want to think about it. It's too horrible to think about. And it's also the, what I call cancer syndrome. Everybody acknowledges that cancer is real and people get cancer all the time. And a large portion of the population in our nation today, mainly because of the crap that we ingest and we breathe and everything else, ends up with cancer. But there's a not me cancer syndrome. Well, yeah, it happens, but not me. You don't really want to think about it. But the difference is, you know, you can live a healthy lifestyle, but that's about it with cancer. With disaster preparedness, there's steps that you can take that really make a difference. But it still wouldn't matter to the people that were asleep. I had to put it in a context. 
that would make them see why it was a good thing to do. That would give them the excuse to do what they know they should do, but refuse to because of how they may be looked upon by others. And if so, an excuse was necessary, so be it there would be one. And it would be a legitimate excuse. It wouldn't be an excuse. They could use it as an excuse, but by God, I didn't give excuses. I would give people a reason. And that's what it came down to. And in that, I determined that I was right by looking at hardcore preppers. And I said, if I'm right then the stuff that they'll talk about the most is the cool stuff and the fun stuff. And lo and behold, what does everybody talk about? Guns and camping gear and outdoor activities and things that guys think and guys made up the bulk of it as far as I knew at the time. Now I know there's a lot of women preppers. But all the guys talked about the cool guy stuff. Even if they had a hundred tons of food stored somewhere. It was all, you know, the guy that was not the militant, that was not the crazy lunatic hiding in the mountains in Idaho, in a bunker. That guy still talked about his AR-15 more than anything else. Why? Because he felt the most immediate benefit from it. Because once every couple weeks he went out to the rifle range with it and shot it. He got to enjoy himself. It was a hobby that would be a skill if it were needed. It was a benefit now that provided insurance for later. And I went, then I'm right. Then this this message will work. And that is when it became, and the entire philosophy wasn't done yet. In fact, it's still not done, folks. There's two new principles coming to the 10-part philosophy, making it a 12-part philosophy. That's part of the book. I don't know if I'll tell you what the other two are until the book comes out. Just to keep you in suspense. But that foundational principle was what everything was built upon. And that's what I was looking at. I'm a marketing guy, and i got to come up with a slogan that will be what it is. People will understand it. And that's what it came up. Helping you live the life you want if times get tough or even if they don't. And there's an unseen, unheard word in there that's in your mind when I say it. And if I said it out loud, it would say, helping you live the life you want now if times get tough. Or even if they don't. Why didn't I put the now in there? It was already too long. Just let it be long because that's what it was. Because I think the now is more powerful silent because it's self-discovery. You find it for yourself eventually. You start to realize, I can have the things I want today. And then I realized something as I... As I put things into this context that if I did it right, that this show could actually be a bridge for people. I could bring together the hardcore survivalists. Some of them would think I was too liberal or too easygoing or too laid back or too focused on gardening or whatever, but a lot of them would get the point and they would understand it. And I would attract them. And I would attract the prepper. The typical prepper. The prepper that preps just because that's the right thing to do. The person that says, I don't really need this stuff today, but tomorrow I might. So they keep a stockpile of stuff in their house. And you might be a prepper and a survivalist and a self-sufficiency person, or you might just be a prepper. So when I say a prepper, I'm talking about the, the, just the, that in a one-dimensional prepper. I can bring them in. The self-sufficiency people. The people I saw doing amazing things all across our country. The, the people that I thought, you know what, if a disaster strikes, unless somebody tells them, they might not even know. Not alone, not care. These guys are living in a desert with an earthship in a little community of 100 earthships that's located on 300 acres. They solar power everything. They, even though they're in the desert, they have gardens and they have all the water they need from rain catching a desert. These people could live anywhere. They don't care about society. Not that they don't care, but they don't care day to day. What you do does not affect them in any way, shape, or form. I don't care if the economy takes a dump, as long as everybody leaves them alone on their little 300 acres. People like the Dervaises that had a tenth of an acre in the middle of the city. And I went, you know... If uh, Even if the economy took a dump and they didn't have their, their business model, they would be able to feed themselves. 
They have everything that they need right there. I could bring people that, that, that want to have that earthship or that urban homestead in with this message. And I could even bring in some of the eco-freaks. I started to watch things like Peak Moment TV, and I realized some of these people were way out in the world of Al Gore worship. But a lot of them were just common sense people that just said, hey, you know what? This drilling for oil all the time, you know, we got to do it, but uh, you know what really sucks is paying the man for, for my share of it. I'd rather control my own energy. I, w- I really do want less pollution in the world, but not because somebody says I'm supposed to, just because it's the right thing to do. The, the common sense eco person that I could attract them. And I could build this, you know, I guess, you know, I guess Reagan called it a big tent. But I figured my tent won't be big. It'll just be inclusive of anybody that wants to come into it. And if what I say is not good enough for you, stay the hell out. That's the way I've been from day one. I don't worry about attracting everybody. But what I worry about is can I put enough truth and reality out there to attract the people that are ready to hear it. And I think I have, and I think that's come from the foundational principle. And if you asked me, how does it work? It comes down to a simple thing. There's no downside. And if you want to know how do you share survivalism, prepping, self-sufficiency with the uninitiated person, the person that's just an ostrich or a sheep, there's two kinds. Sheep believes whatever the TV tells them, the ostrich just doesn't pay attention. How do you share with them? That's how you present it. That's what it's all about. Hey, look, if you start living this way, there is no downside. There's no real sacrifice. There's some things that look like sacrifices, but they're not really. Here's how they pay themselves back very, very quickly. Not short term, but now, today. Because, see, the American mind works that way today. It's about now. It's about instantly. We've lost the wow factor, people. I think I've told this story before, but it bears repeating here. When I was a little boy, and I mean a little boy, I'm talking eight years old, somewhere around there, one of my grandmothers worked as a waitress at a diner. And uh, I don't know if it was my grandfather or my mother or my dad, somebody took me to see grandma at the diner. And I'd been there a couple times before, but uh, usually I would have dinner or lunch if I went to see grandma at the diner. But we'd already eaten. So it was just to go see her. She says, Hey, what about a piece of apple pie? And I said, eight-year-old kid, apple pie, you bet, bring it on, you know? She said, do you want it hot? I said, hot? How long will it take? She said, not long. I said, yeah, I'd like it hot. That would be, that'd be great. It'd be like it was just baked. So she walked away, and within 30 seconds she came over and handed me this piece of apple pie that I'd watched her take out of one of those little round cooler things, you know, where they put the pieces of pie in and they spin around in the old diners. And I knew it was cold in there. And my pie was steaming in 30 seconds. And I said, how did you do that? She said, it's called a microwave. I was absolutely blown away by the fact that this piece of pie was heated up in 30 seconds. An 8-year-old today wants to know why, it, why did it take 30 seconds? Why, doesn't it, why isn't it 5? I remember being amazed when the first space shuttle went into space, because I had never been old enough to understand going to space. I heard the stories, like all the little kids, I wanted to be an astronaut, I wanted to go to the moon. But I remembered seeing the old tapes of you know the, the, the thing splashing down in the ocean. And I remember thinking, wow, America's cool. We just set a spaceship up that actually landed on wheels instead of in the ocean. I remember being amazed by that. I remember so many things that I was amazed by. I remember the first CDs. And all that music was on this little hard disc. There's no tape. How does it get in there? How does it get read with a little red light? I remember all these things. And no one's amazed anymore. No one's surprised anymore. That's led us to now and a dreamy view of a mythical future that probably does not exist. 
I was talking to you yesterday about these mutual fund commercials of two old people that look like they're still in the prime of their health, wearing long pants because they don't want you to see what their legs look like when they're 75, with their little cuffs rolled up, smiling, more in love than ever before, holding hands, walking down a beach together, leaving footprints in the sand, and call your blah, blah, blah advisor from blah, blah, blah company, and we'll help you get there. They're stuck between the now and so far into the future that it doesn't really matter. I'll worry about it when I get there. I can't think about that now. Right now, i got to get the kids off to their game. i got to pay the bills, and i got to keep trying for that next promotion. That's where America is today. And if you want to reach that, then you have to put things into their context of the now or the soon to today. How does it benefit me today? How does it help my struggle day to day? I I don't have time to worry about a disaster. I have 15 little mini disasters in my head every single day. The kids this, the wife that, the husband this, the mortgage that, the roof this. How does it help me now? That's where it came from. And then here's the beauty. It's not marketing. It's not spin. It's true. It is the way things are. It's the way things have always been. And as I've talked to more and more preppers, people have always known it. Because they've always said, well, you know, hey, I store food so it saves me money, honestly. But nobody ever seemed to link it all together. Like I said, it seems like common sense now. But it took deep analysis to find it. And I'm going to ask you every time that you see yourself falling back a little bit, falling asleep a little bit, giving up a little bit, deciding it's not really worth it a little bit. Do I really need any more food? Got a month now. God, how much more do I need? Do I really need to pay off this credit card? Do I really need to pay down this debt? Do I really need to cut this expense? Do I really need another way to diversify my investments? Do I really need... To stop and ask yourself, if I do this, how does it really benefit me now? How does it insure me for the future if things go wrong? And how does it improve my future if everything goes right? I think you'll find that just about every common sense preparation you can possibly come up with will get a great big golden star for every one of those boxes. And that will keep you motivated. It will also keep you sane. Because it will keep you from doing stupid things. It will keep you from hoarding. We're going to talk about that later. right? What's hoarding versus storing? Right? There was somebody sent me an email recently where somebody answered that in a, in a forum and they did a great. I was already thinking when I read the title, oh God, you don't get it. And the guy did get it. He was sending me a thing out of a forum. And the guy that answered it answered it perfectly. You know? So you don't go into a hoarding mentality in a time of plenty. You slowly accumulate what makes sense as it makes sense as you develop the resources for it. And you build a very robust lifestyle that's almost impossible for you to be knocked down. See, here's the problem. Most of America, as they go to you know rise up in society, they build a tower. They build a straight-up tower. They go up as fast as they can. So it's narrow at the base and narrow at the top. It's like a needle up into the stratosphere. And look how far we've come so fast. And that was me. That was my arrogance. I went too far too fast. Went from six bucks an hour to six figures in three years. Swear to God, honest with you folks, it's true. Built it like a needle. Fortunately for me, nothing ever hit it. Nothing ever hit the clay feet at the bottom. I had time to realize my mistake. And I went back and decided if I'm going to build my life up, I'm going to build a pyramid. I'm going to make that base thick. And I'm going to slowly narrow as I move up in life. So that it's strong. So that if you knock the top off, there's so much underneath, I don't even care. If we have a catastrophic event, cannonball hits my period. Boom! Blows a hole in it. I'm still here, baby. I ain't going nowhere. I'm going to take care of me. I'm going to take care of my family. By God, if I can, I'm going to take care of my community directly around me. I'm not going to be afraid. 
I'm not going to fear losing what I have because I'm going to put too much redundancy into my own system to be affected by the things outside of it. I'm going to create self-sufficiency, independence. I'm going to do it now, and I'm going to have a better life no matter what happens. Good or bad or indifferent. I'm not going to be an aimless person floating through life like a leaf on a river of wind that just goes wherever I'm taken and does the best I can with where I land. No more. Foundation first. That's what this is all about. And that's what it can be about for you if you make it. And I think if you're listening to this show, especially regularly, if I resonate with you, you already know this now. It was, And if you think you learned it from me, you didn't, folks. The best teachers in the world don't teach anything. They help you remember what you already know. That's real teaching. That's what I hope I'm doing. But if you want to teach somebody else, if you want to help them remember, start with principle one, foundation one. That's how we spread the world. That's how we bring more independence to America. That's how we fight back against the system. If you've noticed lately, I've taken a decided turn away from political matters. There's a reason. I understand that what we do to become independent is vastly more powerful than any petition sign. That my garden is a better form of revolution than the ballot box. That the more people I can make independent, the more change we will affect. Period. Because that's what it really comes down to. That's what it's really all about. Taking the nation back is not taking it back from someone. It's taking back our nation by reclaiming it for ourselves instead of letting other people do it for us. But I hear a lot of rattling going on in the who do they want to take it back from? You know, and they try to make it racist and whatever. No, no, no. Taking it back isn't about what letter is after the name of a politician. It's about you saying, this piece of it's mine, buddy. And I control it. And I don't care who's in charge. And I don't care what you say. I'm going to run my life. And I'm going to take care of my things my way. And you can all go to hell in a handbasket if you want to. I'm not going with you. That's what survivalism is really all about. That's what self-sufficiency, that's what prepping, at its core. And it's the things that we know intrinsically as humans to be true. Stuff can go wrong. Be prepared. That's what separates us from the animals, folks. The smartest animals in the world can't create the most simple disaster plan. All they can do is react. A monkey, a whale, a dolphin, extremely intelligent, have their own means of communication. But they can't look into the future, understand that there could be something wrong, and plan for it today. They can use tools, for God's sakes. They can use tools. They can sound alarms. They can act like a military... A pot of dolphins can act like a military unit. But they can't plan in advance. They can't send out someone like a scouting party to do an assessment of the threat. Come back. Tell them what the threat is. Understand the threat's capabilities. Develop a new pattern and then go out and attack. They can't go to that level. They can't go out and look and go, Hey, um, you know... It's getting cold. We need to migrate. They migrate on instinct. They feel the water get colder. They move. Or on timelines. If it changes, they're confused. Everything goes topsy-turvy. The animals of the world go nuts. They don't know what to do. Because they have this inset, inbred system. It's only you. It's only you that can sit down, evaluate, plan, prepare, and then act. So do it. That's the one thing you have that no other living creature has. Use it, exercise it, and understand that it helps you today, not just tomorrow. This has been Jack Spirko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. You can scream, and you can holler, it really doesn't matter, cause it all gets spent. 